Welcome to the Round Rock Church of Christ Teaching Podcast. We're a faith community located in the central Austin area that gathers at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope this teaching blesses you as we become spirit-filled and spirit-led Jesus followers for those who do not have a home. Good morning, Round Rock. When our Lord Jesus tells us about those who want to be his disciples, he invents a phrase, take up your cross. There are a few other times in the Gospels in which Jesus uses this phrase, take up your cross. But here in Luke's version, Jesus calls it a daily cross. If you're a Christian and you grew up in church, you might have heard that phrase before. It might be familiar to you. If you are not a Christian and you didn't grow up in church, you may have heard a a different version of it where someone says, this is just my cross to bear. The same idea is present there. If I had to bet, I think that some or many of us in this room are bearing a daily cross right as I speak. To be clear, I'm not talking about a stressful day at work. I'm talking about long-term suffering that results from obeying God. I'm talking about a marriage with a spouse who feels like a stranger to you. I'm talking about taking care of a chronically sick mother or father who needs constant attention month after month after month. I'm talking about a child who for years or decades has been so rebellious and you've tried everything and nothing seems to work. I'm talking about a son or daughter with such demanding needs that you've just given up on them ever launching into independence. I'm talking about a friendship where you just pour out love over and over and over again, and all you get back is dysfunction and spite. A daily cross is not a one-off event. It's never a sin. It always results from what God wants you to do, and you're obeying him, and it results in pain, suffering, or shame. Some of you might be open about your cross. Other people know. Some of you maybe have hidden your daily cross, or at least tried to cover it up. But if you are a Christian in this room, and you know what I'm talking about, Here is one temptation that I bet you've experienced. Satan will offer anyone bearing a daily cross these very tempting words. Look, you have carried that cross long enough. God has already asked so much from you. He wouldn't want you to keep going on like this. You deserve to be happy. What kind of God would ask for more from you? Why don't you just set that cross down 
and move on with your life? That is the question that I want to answer by the end of this sermon. I want to give you a good reason to bear whatever daily cross you're bearing one more day. And I'll admit, I probably don't know what you're going through. I couldn't even guess what some of the daily crosses are on your shoulders right now. And there are some crosses that if you told me about them, I would tell you I'm too weak to carry that one. But my ignorance and spiritual weakness does not change what Jesus says in these Gospels. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Each word in that sentence is so crucial. You may not want to be his disciple. So this verse may be irrelevant to you. You may want to study Jesus from afar, so this doesn't apply. But he says, if I'm going to be your teacher and you're going to be my student, there is no other option. You must, not may or can or could or might or think about it, you must take up your cross. Now, Think about what a cross meant to that very first audience. For many of us in this room, when we picture a cross, we see a decoration in a, in a church or our homes. We think of a, a necklace or a piece of jewelry. But to the first century audience who heard these words, this was the Roman Empire's way of getting rid of you. It was an electric chair, but worse. It was designed to humiliate you by stripping you naked and presenting you on a roadside. And the whole point of the cross was to put you where a lot of foot traffic was so that people would see you and they would get this message. If you mess with the Roman Empire, this is what happens to you. This is your fate. Some folks think that Jesus actually died by bleeding out but that's not true. Crosses were designed so that just to breathe, you had to pull yourself up, take a deep breath, and go back down. And you would do this hour after hour after hour until Jesus finally breathes his last. That's how he dies. So Jesus picks that image to describe following him. Now, some Christians have actually gone the full distance and copied him in a very unique way. Simon Peter was crucified upside down, but all of Jesus's followers have to undergo a daily crucifixion. Our Lord tells us, my followers are not spectators. They don't study me from a safe distance. If you want to picture the church in your mind, Picture a bunch of people carrying their crosses right behind Jesus. That's Christianity. When I was talking to my wife this week about what I'd be preaching, she said, do you ever plan on encouraging them? Like at some point in the sermon, that's the last time you'll ever be invited back and you grew up there. 
I don't know if I can think of a single teaching from the mouth of Jesus that is more difficult. I can't think of a single teaching that is more hated by outsiders, by non-Christians. We've been told that Christians, because of this verse, must relish suffering and wallow in it. Christians have been called weak and impotent losers who have to be doormats because of this verse. We've been accused a lot based on this passage. But there's one accusation that I just don't think makes sense. Some people will say that Christianity is designed to alleviate anxiety. Christianity is like a drug. And to those people, I would say, have you ever read this passage? It's quite anxiety-inducing if you ask me. If you've got bad blood pressure, don't read this verse. It's scary. It seems and is so dangerous. It's not a very good advertisement for religion. You want to join us? You'll die. You'll have a daily cross that you'll have to bear. Why don't you come on and be one of us? What religion would market itself this way? Maybe it isn't marketing or advertising. Maybe it's just the truth that if you want to follow Jesus, if you really want to be his disciple, this is what it takes. This is what is required. Now, for Christians ourselves, we're not just accused from outsiders about this. We often want to downplay it ourselves to make Christianity a little more appealing. This passage, all it means is that life can be hard. Come on. Atheists know that life can be hard. Jesus says... If you are one of my believers, you will have a daily cross. It's a promise. I was reading this book by Matthew Lee Anderson called Called Into Questions. And at the end, he puts in a letter that he wrote to a friend who was losing her faith. And I just found this so perfect for this sermon today. He writes to her, I sometimes wonder whether people turn away from Christianity at all or whether they are rejecting a cheap and sub-Christian optimism that worships the false god of personal peace and affluence. Many people my age seem to have made Christianity a means to a stable job, healthy family, and happy emotional life. And then they are surprised when the world lets them down. To these people, they make God sound more like a life coach than a terrible and strange and living God. I suspect that some of the people who leave Christianity are only replacing one form of therapy for another. Think about all the things people do to replace church. They pay for therapy, wellness classes, yoga, meditation apps, relational counseling, career counseling, dietitians, and personal trainers, all of which can be helpful. Yet, if that's what it takes to live a good life, no one who can't afford it can make it. Listen to this last line. For all of its problems, the church at least offers confession, meditation, and singing for free. All she asks is that you take up your cross 
and follow Jesus. Jesus promises us that this will be part of following him. And when I read it, I want to water it down. And so I have this rule of thumb, this test, to make sure I don't water down Christianity. If my definition of Christianity would not make sense to martyrs, then it's probably not Christianity. For the past 2,000 years and all over the world today, Christians die just for being Christians. And sometimes they're given opportunities to renounce their faith, to say with their mouth they don't believe in Jesus, and get their life back. But a martyr chooses death rather than giving up their faith in Christ. So to follow my rule of thumb, when I was preparing this sermon, I imagined a conversation between me and a martyr. And I picked the very first martyr in the church, the martyr Stephen. His story is in the book of Acts. And this is what I said. Stephen, I am so inspired by you. I mean, I love that you chose to die for Jesus. I love going back in the book of Acts and reading your story. It inspires me every time, but I just don't know if death is for me. I mean, all of you apostles and evangelists, most of y'all were single. Y'all weren't married. You didn't have kids. I have people who are relying on me. I don't think God would ask me to leave behind a widow and children. God would never ask me to do that. And I think Stephen would look at me dumbfounded and say, if Jesus was willing to ask for martyrs in the first century, which century did he stop asking for martyrs? If Christ asked people to lose their heads for him, like the Apostle Paul, how much more would he be willing to ask you, Mitch East, to lose your comfort for him? Two of my favorite saints from church history are mothers. Their names were Perpetua and Felicity. They were imprisoned and condemned to die around the year 200, so 170 years after Jesus died and rose again. And, and Felicity was pregnant when she was condemned to die, and Perpetua had a baby boy who she was nursing. They were given this chance to live if they just renounced Jesus. They could raise their children, and they turned it down for Jesus. They just had to trust into the hands of God these kids that they were given because they believed that keeping faith in Jesus was not only more important than their lives, but even more important than their families. And so I, I remember the only way that Christianity can ever make sense is if it makes sense to those two women. Because they take Jesus at his word. He says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. In other words, Jesus says, there's no way to get out of life alive. There are two ways of losing your life. You can lose it by wanting to save it, or you can lose your life for Jesus. We're all going to have to give up our lives for a purpose. We're all going to have to lose our lives on somebody's terms. So the only question is, 
on whose terms? Your terms or the terms of Jesus? And many of us might think, okay, but here's the thing. If Jesus is wrong, then I have so much to lose. If I give my one and only life to him and he's incorrect, I've wasted it. And I would be, I would be blunt. That's true. If you give your life to him and he's wrong, you did waste your one life. But he asks a very important question when he's teaching on this subject. He says, what good is it to gain the world but lose your soul? Right? In this life, we're so often narrowly focused on what the world has to offer and what we can get. And Jesus grants you the possibility that maybe you could get all that you wanted from the world. But he reminds you of something you often forget. You have a soul that lives on after you die. And what good is it if you trade that for everything in the world? Because once you've lost your soul, what can you trade to get it back? So if Jesus is right and you don't give your life to him, you have lost what is most valuable in you, your immortal soul. Some people hear that and say, okay then, but what you're making it sound like is that life and death are just a gamble. I can either bet on Jesus being right or I can bet on myself. So why not bet on me? Why trust him with my life? Here's why. He already did what he's telling his followers to do. He can ask you to lose your life for him because he has already lost his life for you. He can tell you to bear a daily cross because he bore his cross 2,000 years ago. We often forget the beginning of this passage. Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection. And it happened. Think about it. If Jesus is so powerful that he can predict his death and the manner of his death, and he can undergo crucifixion, and he can suffocate on the cross and be humiliated for us, and then on the third day defeat death, he is the only person you can trust with your life. He lost his life for you, and he got his life back for you. That's why you can and should give your one life to him. And that's why when the devil comes along and whispers in your ear to drop your daily cross, this is what you say back to him. I can bear this cross. I will bear this daily cross because he already bore the cross for me. Y'all, so many daily crosses are dropped and they don't have to be and it's because of this temptation from the enemy. How many children have been abandoned by their parents because of this temptation? How many marriages that did not have to end wound up in divorce because of this temptation? How many friendships have been lost because of this temptation? How many people have given up 
on the aging and elderly and sick because of this temptation. When the devil comes along and says, you've been bearing this cross for too long, just drop it and move on. Now, I don't want to be understood, misunderstood, so I'm going to make a few disclaimers. God would never, under any circumstances, call sin a cross you have to bear. Never. If someone else is sinning or you're sinning, we're not talking about a daily cross. I'm not telling anyone in this room who is carrying a cross that you need to be a doormat. That is a misinterpretation of this verse. I'm not saying Christians can't have joy in this life. I believe in the fruit of the Spirit, and I believe you can have joy. And I believe those people in that video who are talking about grief share can find joy through the power of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. I believe in joy. I don't think that God delights in our suffering or our pain. I think that God's ultimate plan is for when we go to heaven, he is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. I really do believe he's going to end all of our suffering. But in this life, in this fallen world, until then, when we're following Jesus, there will be daily crosses for us to bear. And when you give your life to Jesus, he'll give you something better back. He'll give you eternal life. And I just don't think there's a way around this verse. I have never in my life met a mature disciple who looks back over decades of following Jesus and said, for whatever reason, I was exempt. Not a one. We all, if we obey God in difficult ways, will experience pain and suffering. And I think we'll all be tempted to drop our crosses. And I don't know how long God is asking you to carry whatever cross you're carrying this morning. I just want you to carry it one more day. Just don't drop it today. Now, I don't think that we should bear our crosses as lone individuals. In three of the Gospels, we read a, a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene. Three Gospel authors think it's important to include him in the story. And if that name doesn't ring a bell, Simon of Cyrene is the man who helped Jesus carry the cross from his trial under Pontius Pilate to his execution on the cross. Think about what that means for a second. The Savior of the universe, your Lord, the one who defeated death, did not carry his cross alone. And there are two lessons from that event that I take away. First, right now you might have some spare strength that you can offer someone at this church who is bearing a difficult cross. I would tell you to be like Simon of Cyrene and help bear that burden with them. The second lesson is this. If Jesus got help, you are not above help. If someone else carried his cross and helped him get to the finish line, ask someone else to help you 
bear yours. Don't try to do it alone. I've had my wife's question in the back of my mind this week, so if I haven't been encouraging, let me encourage you one more time. Jesus can be trusted with your life. The only life that you have can be trusted in his hands. He's already carried the cross for you. His Holy Spirit will strengthen you. The church is designed to be like Simon of Cyrene, where we help each other out, where we lift our fellow crosses when we're weak and we've lost strength. And if you lose your life for Jesus, you will find it again. Staking your life on him is not a gamble. It's a guarantee. It's founded on the promises of God who cannot lie. The one who lost his life for you and got it back promises to save your soul. I think that each and every person in this room should trust him with your soul. He will take very good care of it. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would be with us this morning. We pray that you would strengthen us. There's so many people in this room who may be carrying a cross by themselves, and others don't know about it. It's a secret or it's hidden. I just pray that they would reach out to someone else who's here and get help. Search for another Simon of Cyrene at this church who is willing to bear the cross for them for a little while. I pray that if the devil is tempting any of us to drop our crosses and move along in life, that we would give one more day, one more day to whatever cross we bear. God, I ask that we don't ever water this verse down. I pray that we don't downplay it, change its meaning. I pray that we continue to come back to it, and when we've resolved to be a disciple of Jesus, that we would accept what he says, that we are called to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.